What obligation does public service media have to Indigenous peoples? By Indigenous people, for Indigenous people and with Indigenous people. Are public media living up to this obligation? Historically, the answer is no. We have a, a, a legacy and a history in the country that, um, that needs to be addressed. We still lack um, real diversity um, of First Nations people in decision-making positions. And how should they make amends to finally reflect Indigenous communities in a genuine way? Oh, we're proud to say that we've delivered. We've got something that has four pillars, 14 objectives and 49 actions that will take us to 2027. So we're really excited. I'm Harry Locke, and from the Public Media Alliance, this is Media Uncovered. I'm Catherine Tate, President and CEO of CBC Radio Canada. We broadcast in eight different Indigenous languages, but there are in fact well over 60 uh, Indigenous languages in Canada, many of which are uh, disappearing. So the urgency around um, language and the history of um, uh, the, the genocide and um, um, the residential schools in Canada has um, really created for, for the public broadcaster when we talk about celebrating we're really actually um, on a path to reconciliation and our interest is about reflecting and representing the realities of the Indigenous uh, experience uh, both for Indigenous audiences but also for non-Indigenous audiences so it really um, it's a it is complicated but for example in C BC uh, North, which is um, based in, uh, in Yellowknife, we have an archive of 75,000 hours of radio programming that dates from the 1950s. And many of our indigenous listeners have, where, you know, we've been able to um, create some podcasts from this content. Um, many of them have said they're hearing words that they've never heard. Mm -hmm. And they're hearing from elders that have been forgotten. So this is really important work. Uvanga Mayor Powder, Takwa CBC Good Unicato Simajut to Sasauni Quit, Inui Ilakusingatigut, Housing Atilu to Sasau Katasimajut, Ilugutau Katasimalutilu in Narayoyun Inunun. Takwa Pimakusimamat. Historically, do you feel like as public service broadcasters you have served Indigenous communities to maybe the standard that the Indigenous communities expect of you and you expect of yourselves? And then tied to that, how do you think you're perceived at the moment? Well, clearly, the fact that CBC um, Radio Canada has launched its first, uh, first ever national Indigenous strategy would suggest that perhaps we have not been up to the standard. Uh, we have been providing service to Indigenous audiences for well over 40 years, so it's, it's not that we haven't been. Uh, we have an Indigenous unit based in Winnipeg. We have um, a unit in Quebec called Espace Autochtone. Uh, we are absolutely interested and committed to developing drama programs, comedy programs, documentaries uh, from Indigenous creators. Is it enough? No. It's not enough. We have a, a, a legacy and a history in the country that, um, that needs to be addressed. 
I have to say, though, that CBC had many heroes and many journalists that were very, very engaged in telling uh, the stories of indigenous people. But was it enough and was it sufficient or adequate? Um, I would say not so. And part of our strategy um, actually will look at the, um, the archive at, at CBC Radio Canada to really examine whether or not we uh, um, perpetrated harm. Uh, to Indigenous people. So that's part of the exercise. Again, we don't have any particular prejudice in that regard. We just want to go in and say, okay, listen, how did we handle the story? And how did society treat these, um, these subjects? Did people know what was going on in residential schools? And that's a very, very important part. Of, that's the truth part of reconciliation. That's Chief Executive of CBC Radio Canada, Catherine Tate, mentioning a new national Indigenous strategy launched this week. It's part of a wider effort of reconciliation, which she says public broadcasters must be a part of. Working with First Nations, Métis and Inuit communities, the strategy's been led and developed by Robert Doan. We've started this work just over two and a half years ago, but it really builds upon the work that we've been doing within this organisation for quite some time. And when we first came together, we wanted to come up with a, an idea, a roadmap for the future that would allow us to do better, uh, to be able to actually build on the work to support and uh, uh, center the voices of First Nations, Métis, Inuit folks within this country, within our organization in a good way. And so when we embarked on this journey, a colleague of mine with Radio Canada and I put together a four-phase plan. And really, the very first phase was about review to kind of see where we were at to get a good assessment for our readiness to, to develop and adopt the National Indigenous Strategy, uh, the first of its kind for us. And then the second was around engagement, saying, OK, especially coming out of a pandemic, which is challenging, how do we ensure that we meet with as many uh, Indigenous peoples across the country as possible to provide an opportunity for them to weigh in? Phase three was really about writing and drafting and framing out the strategy. And the last phase was re-engagement, ensuring that um, what we created was in step with stakeholders, with rights holders, um, was something that uh, people would be excited about. And so uh, we're proud to say that we've delivered. We've got something that has four pillars, 14 objectives, and 49 actions that will take us to 2027. So we're really excited. And do you think anyone in, the, in that time has covered more miles of, of Canadian road than you have? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, it's hard to say. I'll tell you, I talked to you know, my, my wife, I think, was, was saying, okay, when this strategy is launched, will you be traveling a little bit less? And I was like, I don't know. Um, but it's been um, quite a journey. But you know, one of the most incredible things about this as, a, as someone, I, I, I myself am Gitsan, I was urban raised. What was really exciting was I got to meet a lot of people and go to a lot of different territories, uh, visit, um, see people from many different nations. And, and it just makes you realize like how little we know. We're so, in this country, we're so distinctly unique. We have so many different uh, nations, peoples, customs, languages. So for me, it was this, I was just like everybody else. It's been one big learning journey for me. The cool thing I think about a strategy is that, and I've always said this, is that this is like really the starting point. Like we're delivering a strategy, but it's not the finish line. It's actually the very beginning going to really transform, I think, the way we engage with folks and actually really build upon the work that we did. So, so get, getting into the National Indigenous Strategy then and the actual details of, of what it is, uh, I suppose for, for people observing from the outside, c can you just sort of, um, I guess, sort of contextualise, I mean, what is a National Indigenous Strategy and sort of where will it fit within the overall organisation and, and just, yeah, what, what is it? 
Yeah. So, and I was like, how will the organization fit into it? I, I was kind of, I was, I was presenting earlier this week about what we've done. And I always said, it's, it's kind of like we built a bike frame for, it's like a, a, we built a roadmap, so to speak, a guide that will guide everyone in this organization on, on how we can approach indigenous realities within this organization and in the work that we do. One of the big things that we'll be doing right off the get-go is figuring out how we operationalize it. How do we ensure that apartments across this big organization are in step and, and living up to the objectives or supporting them in, in a way? And so when I talk about this idea that we built the bike frame, we're actually now going out to all the editorial leaders, all the, the team leads in this organization, and we're literally sitting down with them. Okay, say so now we need you to help us with all the bike part to ensure that's enacted and implemented in a good way. And so as I see it, the, the strategy really is it acknowledges everything that we're doing already, because I, I would like to state that we are doing some incredible things to this organization all the time, but we've never had anything that's ever guided us before. So for the first time, we have like a, a North Star and the objectives, we have 14 objectives and essentially each objective is a three-year goal. Each has a specific outcome and underneath of those are these 49 actions. Essentially, what we're doing is we're going out to these teams and saying, okay, these are the objectives that you support, you agree, and of course, they, they have. Okay, these are the actions. And so we work with them and saying, okay, uh, let's workshop and brainstorm the tasks to support your actions. We'll come back to the strategy in more detail later. Efforts like these are not just contained to Canada. It's international. And the UN culture agency UNESCO is currently working on a global indigenous media strategy. Mirta Lorenko, the chief of section for media development and society at UNESCO, says indigenous media and programming isn't just a nice to have, it's a right. There is something called the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which has an article that says that indigenous peoples have the right to establish their own media. Uh, and, and also to access, of course, all forms of other type of media without being discriminated. But what is interesting with this article is that it's also calling upon states to take measures so that the public service media or the state-owned media will also cater for uh, indigenous groups and handle indigenous uh, matters uh, in a way reinforce cultural diversity. She says public broadcasters have an obligation to properly reflect Indigenous peoples. So what should they be doing? And is it happening? Public service broadcasters can articulate better all issues concerning Indigenous people. Not in such include Indigenous people, but articulate with their priorities and their matters and their angles of view by Indigenous people, for Indigenous people, and with Indigenous people. Yes, there is a lot of disparities in, in terms of uh, coverage on, on Indigenous matters and articulation with Indigenous peoples. In some countries, Indigenous peoples do not uh, benefit of the right to to be recognized as indigenous media. It seems like in general, what is broadly recognized uh, is their cultural rights. So when it comes to media production that has to do with the folklore, let's call it, of indigenous peoples, there, uh, there is uh, good acceptance and, and there is uh, good coverage in general. But when it comes to other matters that concern indigenous people, it's uh, it's not so obvious, or perhaps not there is 
not so much uh, reporting. And when it comes to including indigenous voices in matters of domestic interest or national interest, which have nothing to do with being indigenous, um, there, is, there is seldom any concern. Now, some public service broadcasters have a, a whole unit department or service uh, for indigenous peoples. So uh, what we would like to know is how easily they operate, which facilities do they have, how they can integrate with other units of the of this public service broadcaster. In some public service broadcasters, it may be a one-person show, you know, and, and struggles and uh, efforts. Sometimes it's, um, it's a very modest uh, part of the large organization, and, and sometimes it's completely unexistent. Well, we've heard it pretty clear. Public media within a wider media landscape has neglected its responsibility. But how? Of course, every country and indigenous experience is different, but the overlying theme is the same a shared experience of colonisation and the marginalisation that that entails. Some countries have standalone indigenous broadcasters, like APTN in Canada, Fakata Māori in New Zealand or TITV in Taiwan. There's also national indigenous television in Australia, which is a standalone part of SBS. And I can do something to change this place. Keeping our cultures not just surviving, but thriving. Celebrate our resilience, our strength and our survival. The story remains ours. Always was, always will be on NITV. It's headed by Tanya Denning-Orman. The Australian media, both um, public and commercial media, have definitely failed First Nations peoples, both on screen and behind the stage, so to speak. So we, and that's just not an um, opinion, so to speak, that we've got evidence and countless royal commissions that have shown and proven how badly um, the failure has been in Australia. And um, it's, you know, a, a particular dire um, when the power of media of what it can do to influence public perception when First Nations people are such a small percentage of Australia's population. We're only approximately 3%. So when it comes time to voting in the ballots, um, the we rely on um, First Nation. We rely on how Australian journalists, or even in commercials or advertising or other, you know, entertainment or children's programming, how First Nations people are being portrayed. I think a lot of that also has to do over the lack of representation behind the screen in organisations, in newsrooms across Australia. Um, over the decades, but also, and more importantly, in decision-making positions today, we still lack um, real diversity um, of First Nations people in decision-making positions. And um, while there has been an incredible movement and we've had a lot of improvement and influence, um, particularly in the last decade in Australia, and you can sort of see the response and changes in recent um, events such as Australia Day and more knowledge and discussion, um, that shows the power of how important media is. But without a doubt, not just an opinion, uh, we have failed First Nations people in Australia, but there has been incredible progress in recent years, but we still have lots to do and a way to go. 
Tanya's worked across Australian media, but she's been with NITV since it was launched over a decade ago. First Nations people fought originally um, to have a network where we could see ourselves positively represented on screen, but also counter the untruths and how we're being um, shown in Australian media, particularly in uh, news bulletins and newsrooms. And the founding... uh, you know, protesters, those that got NITV into existence really wanted to ensure that we were a channel as made by, for and about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. There you go. We're live on television. You know, on the 12th of December in 2012, we launched um, to Australian audiences freely a network called NITV, National Indigenous Television, a small little network, um, really a a smidge in public broadcasting spending. However, that moment in Australian uh, media history changed the landscape of Australian media, um, public broadcasting as, as, you know, until that moment we didn't have access as an Australian audience for First Nations stories at any time of the day. So you could correlate the shift, the un, you know, the discussions over the last, uh, you know, decade, the last decade we've just experienced over the more recent Australia Day and but then more recently a referendum where we voted as Australians and the discussion that was there, but also I guess how media could be used against First Nations people as well. So in my position, but it's, you know, you, you can easily correlate it. Um, since we launched NITV and made it freely available to every single Australian in 2012, the shift um, of public consciousness, but also there's, you know, data and understanding of um, increase in racism still in this country um, and impacts of First Nations peoples, um, you know, at the same time. So whether, you know, how the rise of understanding, but there's a big history in Australia um, that we need to overcome of um, not knowing the history. The truth-telling is the phase we're in in Australia at the moment. And, you know, that does create a bit of uneasiness with um, Australians as well at the same time. But when you look at NITV, say, in a declining linear market, even though we're such a small um, part of the, um, as far as costing, but also we're not a big player, um, we've continued to grow. So more and more Australians keep connecting. And even today we get messages of, where have you been? Thank goodness you exist. And, you know, that's something special. Um, And also our audience definitely goes beyond our First Nations audience. But what about mainstream public broadcasters, where Indigenous staff and content have to fit, often uncomfortably, in and around wider organisations and schedules? Several, including RNZ and the ABC, have hit the headlines in the past year for their treatment of, or lack of, Indigenous staff, or a perceived imbalance in the amount of Indigenous programming. Dr Jim Mather is the chair of Radio New Zealand, RNZ. I think the prevailing perception would be there's a lot more that can be done, but efforts are being made. And uh, I acknowledge um, probably our frontline uh, presentation staff who have really taken it upon themselves to to uh, upskill, improve their pronunciation of the Māori language and to actually um, expose themselves and, you know, before a large national audiences um, using the language. Dame Nida Glavish is with me in the Auckland studio. Kia ora. Kia ora, morena, tēnā koe. Uh, he te te kupu, he nui te kōrero. 
And, in, in, in that context, a small word, but with huge ramifications. Aye, aye. I te tau kotahi mano iwa rau waru te kau mā fā. So 1984. Aye. Um, it hit the headlines i te We have uh, what we refer to as a rautaki Māori, a Māori strategy, and it's very much based on the framework of the Treaty of uh, Waitangi, which... Um, uh, we have a responsibility to give effect to. So uh, what that actually means is that uh, we're committed to ensuring that we have more Indigenous Māori uh, participation, that uh, there's more partnership and uh, a stronger sense of protection of, of the language and culture. So what does that actually mean in practice? It means that we want to uh, our organisation to reflect what we're seeing in wider society in terms of um, our demographics. Uh, we want to ensure that we um, bring that number up. We also want to be able to give uh, support to all of our people so that it's one thing to say, you know, we want to uh, reflect um, more Māori culture in the organisation, but you've got to provide training support. Uh, but you've also got to be able to answer the why question. Why is this important to our organisation? Uh, what are the benefits we're hoping to accrue? And... and uh, what's our, our real commitment to it? Uh, we want to have a um, uh, particular focus on Māori programming as well. Engai, we o te motu tēnā koutou katoa me o tātou tini mate o tātou tini aitua. Huri tū mai kei a tātou i te au tūroa. E re rananga mihi ki au koutou katoa. Kia ora, good afternoon. RNZ last year signed an MOU with CBC Radio Canada with the Indigenous Space a focal point of that agreement. Both organisations are legislated to serve Indigenous audiences. CBC Radio Canada's Catherine Tate says sharing content, experiences and people can achieve a lot. We're all um, struggling with the same issues. It doesn't matter how big you are. Uh, as public service media, we really share this common um, challenge of working in a world with um, these digital giants and global players. And so part of it is just leaning in together to where one plus one is hopefully going to equal more than two. Um, and we have the same mandates and we have many of the same uh, cultural in, uh, aspirations, as Jim said. So I think it's really about finding uh, partnerships that feel uh, comfortable and that feel, uh, uh, that have potential to really uh, bring new uh, understanding in what's really has become a global uh, media business. Those challenges include confronting the digital transformation. If tech giants like Netflix are challenging local news and content, what does that mean for Indigenous content? Johan Elo Caldo, the director of NRK Sutmi, the Norwegian broadcaster's Indigenous section, says they have recently ventured into the podcast market. The South Sami version is called Havi, produced by two Sami women in, in their 20s. One of a kind, Oriel Samian podcast. They talk about all kinds of uh, taboos. Uh, they talk about uh, sex. They talk about uh, about uh, psychological uh, health. They talk about all kinds of uh, taboos that uh, I believe that that uh, people might have not been used to talk about in in, in official terms. They they bring it to a podcast format. baveldit. Samien via som en beira. Åh, man av dem. Man av dem. Ma, jag 
and they actually uh, the the first episodes had over 600 uh, unique uh, listeners and that might sound like a low number but you ha- have to bear in mind that uh, the language only has uh, we believe it only has uh, 500 users uh, left speakers left so so uh, so so it's kind of an over achievement but we believe that not only the the uh, fluent speakers have listened into the the audio the podcast but we people also use it to actually learn the South Sami language. So how do the issues we've canvassed so far feed into the new Indigenous strategy at CBC Radio Canada? Robert Doan says they've all been considered and they've built four pillars with 49 concrete actions that will be applied across the organisation. I think over time what you will see uh, is more faces reflected in news content. And when I talk about strategy, it's not just news. It's also, you know, I think about the work that we're doing in entertainment and sports, for example. So I think that you'll see some subtle changes. I think that we'll have the better informed. When I talk about the biggest opportunity, the number one opportunity of the strategy, when I talk about for everybody, is really growing awareness inside the organization to ensuring that people have a better understanding of Indigenous realities. I think the idea is that education is paramount. I think it's like the number one thing that you can do, especially if an organization this size, is to like grow that awareness and understanding that cultural competency as much as possible. So we're, we're ultimately doing a better job. Uh, of this organization, there's roughly, I think like 7,500 people. Only 2.3% are self-recognized as First Nations, Métis, or Inuit. There's not a lot of us. So the more you can grow that understanding, I think the the better uh, served we are. Not only us, I want to talk about First Nations, Métis, Inuit, but also the organization by and large. So... Uh, yeah, ideally, I think, yeah, you will see some gradual changes, more offerings in our, on all our platforms. But I think you'll just you'll see us doing better. I always say, like, we're going to make we're going to make mistakes. That's just going to happen. But each one of those are learning moments. And I think that this strategy will allow us to make fewer of those and be better informed to do better and also to lead the way and pave the way for other. I would say, like, you know what? I, I hope other broadcasters as well can, can learn from us. It's also about building relationships with Indigenous communities, as well as other organisations to both restore and build trust. A dedicated Indigenous office led by Robert is also being set up to monitor the strategy and its application. When we were creating these, we, we know that they cross over. It's a very holistic strategy by nature. The first one is people. So that's like people in governance, our internal functions like uh, learning and development, uh, HR, talent acquisition, those areas. Um, we have a pillar called relationships. Those are external to the organization. The kinds of events that we sponsor, the relationships we have with stakeholders, rights holders, etc. Uh, how we can consult and engage with folks across this country. The third pillar is on narratives. So that's the work that we do. Content, uh, podcast, uh, news, local, all that stuff. And the last one is which initially we kind of envisioned this idea of a tree. This one we thought was like the, the core to everything, but uh, a pillar dedicated to, to truth and reconciliation. What does truth and reconciliation look like for this organization? How do we enact it in a way that ensures that we're is, is embedded in all the actions across uh, the strategy itself? Ultimately, strategies and the success or otherwise of them rely on people. Tanya Denning-Orman at Australia's NITV says it's important to remember the load borne by Indigenous staff. The biggest thing I've heard is how the workplace behaves and how the workplace makes you feel 
they got your back. We, we, we grow up in this world. We know the realities. We know what we live. We know our family. We know what's happening. But if your workplace doesn't have your back and what flows from that, so, you know, we can't, you're not going to cotton wool. You know, you're a journalist. You have a role to fulfill and it's a really important role and you take that as your armour and, you know, and I, I really like to make sure the team feel empowered and also know that you have a really important purpose. But let me know if there's something we're not delivering um, to make sure that you can go out into the world and deliver your best every day. And what I'm hearing of any of the staff that have had concerns is really it's when the management don't listen or they just move on or they don't um or you know blatantly um don't back um the people publicly as well so that is really important i think um has been my lesson in the last couple of years at least it's the same with cbc radio canada ultimately the national indigenous strategy using the analogy from robert the bike frame isn't what makes a difference. It's the people who do. And so this really is just the start and it'll require buy-in from across the corporation. The chief executive, Catherine Tate, says it could be uncomfortable, but it's important. This is the heart of our strategy, is how do we rebuild trust? This episode was produced by Jamie Tahana and presented by me, Harry Locke. Many thanks to our guests, Catherine Tate and Robert Doan of CBC Radio Canada, Dr Jim Mather of Radio New Zealand, Tanya Denning-Orman of NITV, Johan Elo Caldo at NRK Sutmi and Myrta Lorenzo of UNESCO. To find out more about CBC Radio Canada's National Indigenous Strategy, you can head to our website, publicmediaalliance.org, where you'll be able to find a link to the strategy in full. Or you can head to cbc.radiocanada.ca.en forward slash media centre. Next week, we'll have a special edition of the podcast to celebrate World Radio Day. Thanks for listening.